his autobiography, Where the Light May Fall, tells a story early on of, I believe he was 19 years old, and he had brought home his girlfriend, uh, who would later become his wife, but for the first time, and she has had the chance to to meet the relatives, to meet the family, and uh, she engages in a conversation with his grandmother, and she is quizzing him about uh, the relatives, about the family, trying to get a better understanding of uh, this of Philip's family. And eventually the grandmother pulls out the, uh, the family photo albums, begin to go through, and as you can imagine, kind of this is this person, this is this person, and kind of walking him through all these different, or walking her through all these different people, and she's taking it all in and getting a better picture. And as she is uh, going through this album, a newspaper clipping falls out. And uh, Philip picks it up, and he, he looks at it, and he recognizes the people in the pictures on the clipping, but he's never seen this story before. In the, uh, in the picture, he sees a picture of uh, his mom, and he realizes that the person she's with is his dad. And he, but he, as he reads the newspaper article, he finds a story that he's never heard before. When, when Philip was about a year old, his dad had died, but the circumstances of his father's death was never really told to him. And as he read the story, he began to see the pieces of his life and understanding him why uh, things were there where they were, why his family was, why, where the unhealth came from. In the article, it talked about that his father uh, and his, his mother, they had, they had gotten married and planned to go as missionaries to Africa. And they had built up a large team of thousands of people back in the days before internet. So keeping track, keeping co- correspondence with your, with your uh, prayer supporters and your donors was done by hand. And they had a group of thousands of people all across the country that were praying and they were preparing to go to Africa. And just before they were to go, uh, Philip's father contracted polio. And he was put into an iron lung. And um, struggled with this how... Why would he be in this iron lung when they had this plan to go serve God in Africa? And it reached a climax where they finally decided that this, could clearly, this clearly could not be God's will. That someone so gifted in, in their church community uh, with them decided that someone so gifted in so much purpose and so much desire to serve God, this could not be God's will for him to be in an iron lung. And so as an act of faith, they removed him by his own will, his own desire. They removed him from the iron lung. Uh, believing that uh, God would heal him and he would continue on his plan. What happened was about a week later, his father died, unable to live outside of uh, that, the environment. And he began to realize that that story shaped so much of who he was. It began to put the pieces of his past and the understanding of why things happened in his life and, and why people believed and did things as they did. We are all shaped by our stories. We're all shaped by our past. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen is arrested. He's arrested by the religious leaders. He is brought before the Sanhedrin, and he is accused. Uh, those who would bring charges against him, and, and at the end of chapter 6, he is accused of speaking against Moses the God, Moses and God. Um, and say, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. They are the people of God. They are the people who, the, the descendants, they are the Israelites. They, their identity is wrapped up in the story of Moses 
his leading them out of exile, uh, leading them out of slavery into the promised land. It's a story that has shaped them, and they accuse Stephen of having violated the story, violated the identity of who they are. There are people that have a temple, and in the temple, God's presence resides. And they accuse him of violating that identity and speaking against it. And Stephen is given the chance to finally, at this point in this trial that's going on, he's given a chance to defend himself. What do you say to these accusations that are coming against you? And perhaps somewhat surprisingly, Stephen does not, chooses not necessarily to defend himself. Instead, he gives a, a defense of Christianity, a defense of being a follower of Jesus. And he, he speaks to them about the traditions of Moses and about who they are as a people and about their story. He calls them to reconsider their story and, and what, what part of the story is influencing and what part they are playing in their story as the people of God. He begins, first of all, he questions the... the um, they have accused him of speaking against the temple but he, he, in his, as he tells them the story, he reminds them it is not the temple that makes them the people of God. It is not this structure. It is not this place of worship that defines who they are. It is not even the boundaries of the land that make them the people of God. For they were chosen as a people, or God chosen. They were chosen as a people when God chose Abraham, an individual. A man not even living in the land, but when his father died, he says, Abraham, God called him and moved him into the land they're in now. God made a promise with Abraham, but Abraham never possessed land. By the time of his death, despite the promise that at one point God would tell him to go up on a mountain, Let's try that again. At one point, God would call Abraham up onto a mountainside and tell him to look around him. And all everything he sees is the land promised to him. But Abraham would never possess any of it. It's part of their story. Their identity is not found in the land. It is not found in the temple. Abraham would have a son, Isaac. Isaac would have a son, Jacob. And Jacob would have 12 sons sons that will become and known as the patriarchs. But as Stephen reminds them, one of those sons, Joseph, would be chosen by God, blessed by him to be a blessing to his, to his family and to the nations. But his brothers, the patriarchs, as he calls them, would reject him. They would sell him into slavery into Egypt, send him off. 
This is part of the story. While in Egypt, they would, they would eventually, the family would move to Egypt. They would be there. God would use experience uh, to, to deliver the nation, but a new king would come into Egypt who, who did not know and did not, did not know who Joseph was and, quite frankly, didn't care. And the people were oppressed and put into slavery. And they cried out to God, and God would send a deliverer to them, Moses, and they would reject Moses. They did not want to hear from him, and they, they would reject, they would send him away. For 40 years, he would live in exile. He would come back again, and even though he would lead them out, they continued to grumble, they continued to reject. They did not want to listen to this man, Moses. At one point in this whole story, both Moses and God, they agree on one thing. They call him a stubborn and stiff-necked people. They are a stubborn people. And they would reject God, and even as they, he leads them out of slavery, they would abandon God, they would abandon Moses, and they would choose to worship a golden calf. They're a stubborn people. They are people guided by a story. The story that comes to the point that, as Stephen tells them, they reaches that climax when another man would come, a man named Jesus. And again, he would speak to them. He would again, he would call them out into an, ex, to an exodus, call them out into new life, call them out and identify them, who is their people. But they are people guided by the story, and their story is they are ones who reject the prophets. So they rejected him, just as they rejected Moses, just as they rejected Joseph. They would put him to death on a cross. Stephen questions them. He says, which story are you being guided by? See, they're playing out the part. They're playing out the part of who they are as people, but they aren't playing out the part as followers of Moses. They're playing out the part of the people who continue to reject, continue to be stubborn, continue to be stiff-necked, continue to be unwilling to listen to hear from the prophets. But there is another story, there is another thread that is also through Stephen's story. It's also a story of God's mercy. That God would come to a man named Abraham and he would make a covenant and make a promise to him. We've talked about this many times before, both Laura and I, but it's a fascinating scene that God would literally, they, they say, cut a covenant with Abraham. Animals would be sliced in half, placed in there, and in the tradition, the, the two parties of the covenant would walk down through the animals, making a declaration, if I should break this covenant, let what happened to me, what happened to these animals happen to me. But the striking thing about God's covenant with Abraham is God is the only one who walks through. He does not take Abraham through it. God cuts a covenant saying, if I am not who I am, may I be destroyed. Moses would be called to lead these people out of slavery. And God would make a covenant and a promise through Moses. He gives them the law. He teaches them how to be a nation. He teaches them how to be a holy and a righteous people. He teaches them how to be a light to the Gentiles around them. They would reject the covenant. They would look at the nations around them and say, we don't want this man to be we don't want God to be our king. We want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. This is their story. And an incredible scene of God's grace. In the midst of their sin, in choosing to have a man be their king instead of God, God makes a covenant with David. 
in my own name. But David, a promise of descendants in the near tomb. It's a covenant that comes into a climax when Jesus comes. Jesus who comes. And now we are told he is standing at the right hand of God. In fact, Stephen will look up at one point and say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And the sight of Jesus standing there at the right hand of God is, is, is a reminder to them. It's, it, 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 it's a symbolism or saying the kingdom of God has come. But now we have access directly to the Father. We have access directly to God. There I see him there. No longer is there a curtain, no longer is there a veil standing between the presence of God and humanity, but now there he is, and Stephen looks and sees that God is with and among his people. There are people shaped by a story. Defines who they are and why they behave. Stephen's retelling of the history of Israel is a challenge to them to question what part of the story are they playing. Do they continue to play the story of their descendants, the ones who killed the prophets? Stephen would quote the prophet Isaiah. They were nice to Isaiah. They cut him in half. Would they continue to, this story of rejecting God, turning away from a story they played out so well when they crucified Jesus? Or would they join the other story? It's also true about who they are as a people. People, recipients of God's grace and mercy. Stephen learned the story well. When Jesus is crucified upon the cross, some of his final words, he says, Father, I, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's striking that as Jesus, as, as Stephen dies, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. On the cross, Jesus would pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Stephen's last words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Each of us are shaped by stories. A story of mercy and grace. A story of fear. He learned his story well. He lived it out. What is the story that is shaping you? Which story are you a part of? What is the story of your ancestors and how it shaped who you are, the way you live, the choices that you make? Are you part of the story? God's mercy, God's grace. This is a story.